The United States and China are sparring in a trade war. Great Britain and the European Union may be headed for trading chaos. Sourcing from far-off countries raises the risk of supply chain disruptions or disclosures of unseen, unethical behavior. Consumers are enamored with goods made in America. Is the golden era of global supply chains gone? Welcome to Global Sourcing Insights from SIPS. I'm Bob Rossback, and globalization is the topic of our conversation today with Bill Michaels, VP Operations, SIPS Americas. So, Bill, is the golden era of global supply chains gone? Uh, are we going to shrink into our own countries now, or uh, what is the what's the trend that you see right now with companies and their sourcing? Well, I, th- I think there's a couple things that companies are are looking at. One, they're looking at these trade tariffs and the and the uh, issues of where where should we source? Should we bring things back to the United States? Should we source in other countries? And I think people are looking for origins that will help them at least keep the cost stable and and keep their product stable. So you are seeing some reshoring. You are seeing some. Uh, some changes, but I think overall, uh, the overall strategy is changing too. I think um, many companies are looking at the risk factor. They're building uh, smaller factories and duplicating effort in different footprints that serve their markets. They're looking at risk management. So am I going to be subject to a, a hurricane, a, a flood, a, a earthquake, and a natural disaster? And they're trying to move uh, some of the products away from some of those areas, uh, although I don't think any area is 100% safe. I think they're also looking at, you know, can I automate this, these processes? Because when you automate, you offset all of the need for low-cost country sourcing because the robots are there. They work 24 hours a day. They don't get tired. And uh, and so just uh, do you have the investment and will the investment yield what it needs to? Sure. Now, a... A study by the Boston Consulting Group uh, showed that the cost competitiveness of countries uh, uh, are kind of squeezing closer. Their their results from 2018, if you put the United States at a 100 uh, index, then China is up to 93 to 95. So the, the, the really advantage of China is definitely narrowing, um, but you still have Thailand at 87, Mexico is at 86 indexed against the United States at 100, and Indonesia at 82. So are, are countries still going to be chasing those low, I mean, are companies going to be chasing those low-cost countries? I think I think they they still are. I think that the next the next big area of sourcing is going to be in Africa. People are looking seriously at what they can source in Africa, and and, uh, and can can they build an infrastructure to be able to get their products? So they they are still looking for the uh, the low cost labor. But again, when you start thinking about uh, investment and building things and making things, um, technology is making a big uh, a big inroad into. Uh, into changing some of that. So now we're getting 3D printers that are actually working in metals and we're working on different programs to kind of automate things. So I think, I think yes, we're chasing it. I think overall, as you chase a low-cost labor and you build the labor force, then you start to evolve into a middle class and the cost of living goes up. And so you lose that advantage over time. Yes, I guess the good news is, or what you're seeing in China is that for a long time we were simply importing from China and now we are building in and for China because it has become a very strong middle-class market of its own. 
That's correct. And so that that offers opportunities for you to, you know, be in the region, build in the region and and uh, and supply your customers in different locations. So that's why I think we're seeing a move where people are building duplicate factories, not not relying on one place where a natural disaster or some other political disaster can take your business out. So in part of a risk management strategy, uh, astute uh, supply managers really have to understand, you know, what are the, what are the capabilities? Where do we want to be sourced? What are the what are the risks that we've got in the sourcing side? And then uh, work with their management to make sure that uh, they're finding the the best possible location, uh, even if it means duplicating the footprint. You know, there's a, a big initiative for reshoring, and um, the, the organization there did a report, and they they thought that. Uh, uh, based on U.S. firms and foreign firms that are investing here, that uh, they could account for about 145,000 jobs added uh, in the United States in 2018 and a cumulative uh, number of 750,000 jobs added since 2010 because of uh, reshoring efforts and reshoring decisions by U.S. firms. So that's a significant uh, pullback from offshoring. And at the same time, they also felt that fewer firms were moving offshore that uh, and and we had probably were actually gaining net ground. In other words, the offshoring jobs uh, had been balanced out by the reshoring jobs sometime since uh, like 2016. So we're in a we're definitely in in some new territory here. Um, but that's not. Uh, but you don't think that that's the full picture, do you? Because of automation. I, I I don't. I really believe that longer term, um, we're going to automation will play a bigger role. And and, and as we automate, we even automate, you know, the procurement, the systems, integrate the systems. I think it's going to be, um, it's going to have a bigger impact overall. But I don't. I think people need to make the investment. And and right now, uh, since they're not willing to make the investment, they'll they'll move to a reshoring. It'll, it'll be stages, and it'll be evolution over time as technology changes. But you know, one one factory I know that's in in the appliance industry, they did reshore. But when they reshored, they fully automated the, uh, the the factory. So you know, you don't have people putting in screws or drilling holes or milling milling parts. Those things are managed uh, ro- robotically. And so I think I think that while we are reshoring, and yes, there will be jobs, and yes, there will be uh, changes over time. Um, I think there's also going to be changes in technology and 3D printing, and and some other areas where um, people are going to look to to automate some of those things. So I, I I agree with you. There is reshoring. I do agree with you that in the short term it will it will add jobs. But a lot of the a lot of the capabilities, though, when you think about what left here and what went out outside uh, are not here. So if you think about um, the toolmaking industry, a lot of the toolmakers all all shut down, and and you don't have the the, the capability that you had uh, ten years or fifteen years ago. So uh, you have to rebuild those industries in order to be able to reshore. So tooling, uh, m- manufactured tooling, molds, dyes, those those are those have left and if you look at the technology in terms of electronics where you have companies that have moved the entire electronic supply chain to asia it's pretty hard to move back so you know some are going to be enabled to come back and some are not 
So the question is, how does a supply manager prepare for all this? Uh, what kind of skills uh, do we need in procurement? Uh, how do we know how to decide and how to make these decisions? These, these are big decisions, and uh, we have to sort it all out. So, so how do we prepare for that? Well, it all, it all, uh, it's one thing to, to think about it. One of the things that the supply manager has to have is has to have financial and business skills. And if you're a leader and you're sitting at the, at the table with, in C-suite, you're going to have to be able to influence. You're going to have to be able to create proposals and models. Uh, and it's a cross-business, cross-functional um, project. It's not just a supply management project. So, you know, you can, you can come up with an idea that says if we move to this location or if we reshore this, here's the opportunities we could we could rebuild the tooling industry. I know I know, like I said, um, the tooling industry is one that I think about. And I know that I was at a presentation not too long ago where Black and Decker decided they're going to bring some of their tool, their uh, hand tools back. And again, it's it's finding finding the suppliers, rebuilding the supply chain, because in some, some cases they're gone. But it's a cross-business, cross-functional approach. And uh, it starts with having the business skills and having the influence skills to be able to sit at the C-suite and discuss these things logically and look at where's the right right place to put these things and you know how should we manage our supply chain in the next one to five years uh, five years may be a little bit long because it's a lot of turmoil and change but in the short term what are we doing uh, with the supply chain for, for the next year what are we doing for the medium term two years and then uh, when we're out three years or more what are we going to do in the longer term and I think that that's how how you have to operate in the C-suite yes and of course we're we're more and more we are building to demand and trying to to I mean, supply managers have always been uh, you know aware of and concerned about what is the demand for the product and so we they can source appropriately and not overbuy or underbuy. Um, but now the decision is also um, where are people buying, right? I mean, it's it's not just how many units are going to be out the door. It's going to be where those units going because you want to build where where they're being sold. And so, if China is an emerging market and you're selling there, you you really want to you, you want to get manufacturing in China if you can. Or, uh, I mean, Africa is certainly you mentioned that earlier as a as a source, but that's also going to be a strong market at some point too that's true and, and 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 of all these things you have to build supply chains in some cases on the reshoring side they don't exist in some cases in some of these uh origins they don't exist so i think that that's uh that's a, an, another part of the uh of the uh equation is what's the maturity of the industry and how's that industry how, how ready is that industry to be able to uh absorb the location and then the third part of that equation is uh, what can be automated in the process. So these are big decisions. They are big decisions and they're business-wide decisions and, and they're going to impact the company for the long term. So uh, getting back to the original question then, is the golden era of global supply chains gone or are we going to have a new kind of net? It's going to be a network of supply chains. It's They're going to be, it isn't one supply chain that uh, travels around the globe for your company. It's more like a network, a matrix of supply chains of different materials going to different places where they're going to be manufactured. So it's a really a decentralized kind of model rather than uh, bring everything into the big plant uh, and then ship it out all over the world. It's a whole different model. 
I think that's that's what we're evolving to over time, yes. Wow. <laughs> well, that's a big idea to think about. Uh, thank you very much. This concludes our episode of Global Sourcing Insights from SIPS. I'm Bob Rospeck. Thank you very much, Bill. Thank you, Bob. It's been fun. Find more podcasts like this one at sips.org. And we are now on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy. Enjoy.